Friday night. Again, your host, Larry Luciano Crane. It's a hot Friday night in New Jersey. It's up to 82 degrees today. What a surprise amidst a brisk and crisp and beautiful fall. I'm sitting in front of my television on mute. I got the New Jersey Devils playing the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm looking at the arena from my window. Devils are up two to one. I'm looking at the New York City skyline, all the bridges and the highways and the traffic coming in and out, glistening in the mist of a balmy evening. Everything I say in this podcast is strictly my opinion and my opinion alone does not reflect the opinion or the position of any other entity or any other person. Everything I say is strictly for entertainment purposes and it's my own private opinion as a private citizen does not reflect the views of anybody else, does not reflect my views in any kind of professional sense at all. Welcome to the show. We are halfway through October and we have been seeing supply chain shortages. I'm going to talk about social issues. We're going to talk about Columbus Day. We're going to talk about Dave Chappelle. We're going to talk about all those fun things, but first we're going to talk about plain old boring news and politics, but that's what the show is largely about. We're going to talk about it objectively. We're going to talk about it logically. That's what we're going to do tonight. So we're facing supply chain issues. It's a big thing. You go to the supermarket. The other day I was in the supermarket, right? And I'm random stuff right like i'm going to get my pepperoncinis and i I like mazetta better i don't you know uh cento's okay i like mazetta you know i put on my salad and uh, you know when i'm trying to eat healthy i have salads regularly like that so i'm going to the shelf and there's no more pepperoncinis from mazetta like they're gone and then i'm on another aisle and like i noticed that the the aisles are kind of stocked like sporadically right like there's stuff missing at every aisle and it's kind of like i didn't even put two and two together really it's like i was thinking damn this shop right that i go to man they're slacking like the night shift must be really bad right now they must have missed a truck or something but no apparently there's supply chain issues there's labor shortage issues there's all kinds of damn issues out here and that's what we're dealing with and it's interesting about the supply chain issues. Everybody's discussing the problem. Um, and, you know, we had Neil on, I want to say last week, but it wasn't. It was two weeks ago because my bad, I had to cancel last week. And I do apologize for that last minute cancellation. Just a little point of scheduling. I'm on tonight. And then next Friday, I'll be on again live with special guest Marcellus Counts, who's an urban uh, agriculture person. He does urban farming and he's also a beekeeper. So he's going to have a lot of interesting things to say next week. But that's just the point of schedule. I'm sorry about missing last week. But anyway, people are talking about this supply chain issues. And is it political? We had Neil on two weeks ago. And remember, Neil said to us, you know, COVID took away so many resources in terms of, say, you know, there's rental car companies that don't have enough cars. And... One of those things, you know, the comments was, well, yeah, because they sold off their fleet during COVID because they were getting no business. No one was traveling. So a lot of these companies sold a lot of their inventory of cars to make cash, to make up for the shortfalls in consumerism during 2020. And now that demand has spiked so rapidly after the COVID situation, they don't have enough cars to go around. They can't order and buy new cars because the car is being manufactured largely with a lot of components being manufactured overseas are in limbo. They're stalled. They're not getting the cars manufactured quick enough. So there's a car shortage. There's a shortage of everything. And he also said that, you know, companies were going to forego investing in new equipment. You know, we're not talking about small equipment. We're talking about cranes. We're talking about huge barges on ports, you know, that, that lift huge containers off of boats. We're talking about all of these massive, massive, massive forms of resources that companies for, you know, they either sold off or they took out a commission or they didn't complete because there was such a stop in demand during COVID. And as he was saying, as Neil was saying, when you're trying to turn around something as massive as the global economy, it's not like turning around a jet ski or a dirt bike. It's not even like turning around a Mack truck. He said it was more like turning around a huge freight liner in the ocean, right? You can steer it 
and try to start turning it around. But the global economy is going to lag. It's a big, massive thing. So as you try to turn it around, it's going to take time to turn around. And things like a massive layoff of workers, things like lack of equipment, like ceasing operations to manufacture certain uh, computer components of larger machines like cars and other tools and machines needed in factories, and then struggling to now restart operations and get them ramped up, not only to pre-pandemic demand levels, but to spiked increased demand levels because so many people now have extra money, they have more free time, and they there is a pent-up demand for things. So not only do you have to meet pre-pandemic levels, you have to exceed pre-pandemic levels. So the supply chain is a problem for that reason. Now, I found it interesting. It uh, Number one, you know, I was reading an article about the supply chain shortage earlier in the week. And one of the things that was pointed out, which I hadn't thought about, which is really kind of a, a morbid, morose, but uh, real problem, is that 700,000, you know, we could blame the labor shortage all we want. And there's something to be said with the labor shortage for people not wanting to return to work. People are getting benefits. They don't want to return to work. There's all these reasons. We can put it on that. And I'm sure that's partly, right? Because on Logic and Larry, we're always objective. You can't say it's one thing or the other and there's nothing else at play. I'm sure that's part of the problem, right? But another part of the problem has to be the fact that we lost 700,000, 700,000 Americans to COVID-19. Now, a good chunk of them were older Some of those older people were not in the workforce, but a lot of people were in the workforce. We lost 700,000 people. That's a lot of human beings that we lost. And a lot of those people were working in a lot of these industries where all of a sudden we have labor shortages. Remember early in the pandemic when they were pointing out and saying, well, you know, the people who drive buses, the people who drive trucks, the people who stock shelves, Not only is it doctors, nurses, and police and firefighters, which we normally think of as frontline workers, there were frontline workers working to keep the economy going and the economy afloat so that we could still go to the store and purchase things so that with this stimulus money they provided us, we could still stay afloat ourselves, put food in our mouth, all those things. 700,000 people die, and you got to think a significant chunk of those people are people that were in the labor force. And so that's a problem. I was reading also that, you know, child care is a problem for some people because while they want to go back to work, they can't because there's a lack of child care and because there's a lack of personnel to actually man the child care places. They it's more expensive to put children in child care and there's less space because there's less people working at the child care facilities. So there's this this endless loop kind of. That's going to persist. Now they say well into 2022. This is the impacts of a global pandemic. The other thing is that COVID-19, while here, it has largely been, you know, gotten under control because number one, we've learned better how to treat it. There's better treatment techniques now than there was previously. And number two, we have such a, you know, you know, in some states it's worse, some states it's better, but we have a higher vaccination rate than other places in the world. So our spread in general is lower. So we're able to kind of ramp up here and we're looking around like, what's with the supply chain issues? Everything's fine here. We're filling stadiums. We're filling arenas. We're going grocery shopping. We're going to bars. What's the problem? Well, in other parts of the world, COVID is still raging in other parts of the world. They don't have access to the vaccines like we have. They don't have distribution mechanisms the way we do. And again, tip your hat to Donald Trump, former president. He put Operation Warp Speed into, he implemented it. And Operation Warp Speed has been hugely successful in delivering vaccines. I mean, if everybody wanted it, we would be even more vaccinated than we are now. That was Trump. With Operation Warp Speed, his administration implemented that, and that's been a large success. But other countries don't have, A, access to the same vaccines, same quality of vaccine, and the amount of vaccines. 
And B, they don't have those mechanisms and that infrastructure to deliver the vaccine to patients quickly. So a lot of the places where we manufacture certain things that we rely on to plug holes in the supply chain or to finish the construction or manufacture of certain components vital to the supply chain. In those countries, they still have shutdowns on and off. They still have people dying. They still have people refusing to go to work because COVID-19 is still raging there. So it's interesting. And then I saw another interesting thing. I saw somebody sent me, and if you're on the chat, identify yourself. Somebody sent me a funny gif on Instagram, and it was this girl talking about the refugee crisis at the border. And she was saying, well, you know, I got a magical idea how to fix something. How about we bring refugees in and we have a labor shortage. They could take some of these jobs. What's wrong with that? They're probably looking for work. They're probably eager for work. And that got me to thinking, what the hell are we doing at the border? Now I'm going to have to go in on on the president. I got to be honest. Again, I'm objective. I'm objective. This is all objective. But Biden, what's Biden doing at the southern border, guys? The southern border. Interesting little tidbit. Interesting little fact. There's something called Title 42. Now, I want to rewind. I went, if you go back, you know about me. If you go back, and yeah, chasing away Haitians, it's it's terrible. It's terrible. Go back to when the Trump border issue happened. And if you remember, all of these people who are not, they don't have any appreciation for nuanced complexity. They don't have any appreciation for delving into an issue and really understanding what it is at its root, at its core. We had all these people saying, well, all Trump is doing is using the same exact policy that Obama had when he's detaining children at the border. They said that, right? And what did I always explain on here? I explained it two to three times on this podcast. What did I say? I said, that's a mischaracterization of what's going on. Obama had a policy that allowed for uh, border agents to separate children from adults when, when there was a suspicion that the children were illegally being trafficked against their will. So they enabled a mechanism legally for the children to be separated from the adults. Trump exploited that. Trump exploited that policy and just used it as a general deterrent, right? Well, since there's a mechanism in the law for me to separate children from parents, I'm not going to restrict it to its intention, which is to detain suspected child traffickers. I'm going to use it on every child and every adult coming across the border because I'm going to use it as a general deterrent to just keep immigrants away. And that was wrong. That was an exploitation of a loophole that Trump was using as a general deterrent. So now fast forward to today. Trump, during COVID, evoked something called Title 42. Title 42 is actually a CDC medical type uh, mechanism that allows for the CDC to kind of declare the influx of people coming in at the border or coming in any of our points of entry as perhaps carrying an infectious disease or being a high risk to the public health, et cetera, et cetera. Trump said, well, COVID-19 is coming, so I'm going to evoke Title 42 and I'm going to keep immigrants out. I'm going to keep refugees out. I'm going to keep people from coming in and out of the country because it's a health problem, right? Now, the CDC and the health Entities in the government never really necessarily signed on to this, and they certainly haven't signed on to it now, where a lot of people coming at the border are not necessarily a high risk for COVID-19. But interestingly, interestingly, that exploited loophole that Trump initially started, Joe Biden is continuing, and he's not only continuing that loophole, Joe Biden is deporting and turning away twice as many people at the border as Trump. Twice as many people. Twice as many people. Biden is deporting twice as many people at the border under using Title 42 than Trump did. So all these people 
We have a labor shortage. We have all this stuff. We're America. We're the beacon of freedom and of people getting a fair hearing. There's reports out there that most of these people are not even getting a fair hearing or even a legitimate objective review of their case under the Biden administration. Biden is doubling down and and going above and beyond what Trump did to the immigrants at the border. And that's troubling. It's say one thing, do another. Say one thing, do another. And that seems to be kind of almost a a mantra with this administration in, in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. And the Afghanistan pullout, I'll just briefly touch on. I posted something the other day. Uh, It was a podcast from the New York Times. And they have great, great podcasts. I mean, they really good investigative journalism podcast. You should really check it out. I think it's called The Daily. The Daily. And it's a, a great podcast about the news. I posted in a lot of the Logic and Larry forums on Facebook. I posted a podcast. Um that actually was a phone conversation, several phone conversations kind of edited into one podcast that a reporter with the New York Times had with a a young woman in Afghanistan. And it was really terrible stuff. I mean, if you get a chance, you should listen to it because as soon as they, the Taliban took over, her father had been an Afghani police officer. So he had issues with them in the past. They basically said, you know, We may execute you, your family, whoever, unless you marry your daughter to one of the Taliban. She refused. She had started getting an education. She had started doing all these things when we were in control of Afghanistan that now she can't get an education anymore. She can't. She wanted to become a judge. She can't become a judge. Not only that, they're demanding that she marry this Taliban person. And her father started assaulting her with pipes. Her younger brothers and older brothers started assaulting her, just beating her up every night with pipes. They were kicking her in a genital area till she was bleeding. They were kicking her stomach. It's terrible. She's 18 years old. And she cut herself in the hand to try to kill herself. And apparently when suitors saw that she had cut herself, they didn't want to marry her anymore because she could be trouble, they said. So the father, in an effort to cover up the scar, boiled oil and water and tried to stick her hand in the boiled oil and water to cover up the scar so he just defaced her hand worse so that they wouldn't see the scar and they could just say it was an accident after that she finally snuck out and escaped and she finally phoned the new york times reporter once more to tell her she had gotten out i don't know where she is but i tell you that because while progressives or people like you know joe biden who you know So to progressives credit, they don't co-sign any of this. They didn't vote for this. They didn't want this. But while you say one thing, you do another. And the way Biden doubled down on Trump's Afghanistan withdrawal to epic failure status and the way he's doubling down at the border is troubling, to say the least. It deserves criticism. It deserves to be looked at. It's a problem. It's a problem. And it's, it's scary and it's sad. And Biden's really starting to struggle at this point, if you really you know, pay attention. This grand achievement, and, I, and, he, and look, I'll admit, I, every time somebody says, well, what do you like about Biden? What's Biden going to do for me? What, what, what could Biden do that's good? I always say, what do I always say? I always bring up the infrastructure bill, right? We need desperately the gateway tunnel from New York to New Jersey, New Jersey to New York, however you want to look at it. We need upgrades to our trains. We need upgrades to our airports. We need upgrades in so many areas with infrastructure. I'm not going to go into my soliloquy again about why and how we're behind and all the other stuff because I do it so much. I don't need to do it again. But I constantly talk about that. And that's one thing I hang my hat on. And he has an infrastructure bill that has passed the Senate with a big chunk of Republican support, including Mitch McConnell, of all people. And it's now sitting in the House and we've talked about this and we've, we continue to talk about it and it's nonstop. But it's being held up because the progressive wing of the party is saying, unless you pass this $3.5 trillion human infrastructure bill, which is really a vast expansion of entitlement programs, and there is some climate change legislation and, and climate change projects in that money as well. The progressives are saying, unless you pass that, 
I will not vote on the infrastructure bill, even though if the House votes on it, it goes right to Biden's desk. And it's desperately needed. And a bunch of Republicans agree we need it. And every moderate Republican and Democrat agrees we need it. And the progressives agree we need it. But they're not going to pass it simply because they're demanding, I want everything I want or I'm not going to pass it. The fact is they don't have the votes on the left. They don't have the votes to get it passed. They just don't. Now, just today, Kristen Cinema from Arizona came out and said, I'm not going to play that game. She said, I'm not playing that game. I will not vote for the human infrastructure entitlement expansion unless the infrastructure bill is voted for first. I'm not playing the game where I give you everything you want and you hold this bill that's very important hostage. She said it's not going to happen, so don't even try. She came out and said that today. And I understand why she's saying it. Now, you got two parties you could really look at to blame for this debacle. And let's face it, two in the hand, or one in the hand, <laughs> sorry, it's late. Two, one in the hand is better than two in the bush, okay? At the end of the day, we have an infrastructure bill we all agree we need. We need it desperately. It's a generational investment. We've got to pass it. And Josh Gottheimer, congressman from New Jersey, wrote an op-ed earlier this week saying, look, what are we doing? I want to pass the entitlement expansion, too. But you got to put shovels in the ground on something we already have the support for. We can get it signed tomorrow. We can do that. And Rick, good point. Now, look, I actually like her more than Manchin, and I'll get to that in a second. Look, I just think we can discuss this this expansion of these programs as much as we want. It might come out that it's vastly less than the $3.5 trillion that Bernie Sanders wanted. It might come out that it's the same amount. It might not pass. It might, whatever it is, it's got to stand on its own. It's its own bill. It really doesn't have any, despite marketing, despite a leverage play by the left, it really doesn't have anything to do with hard infrastructure. It just doesn't. We got to pass this thing. Like, it's good for all of us. Now, here's who you can look at, too, though. The moderate Republicans in the House, they agree that we need it. And here's what I don't understand about their whole strategy. It doesn't make any sense. They keep saying in the House that, no, we're not going to vote for the infrastructure bill, the hard infrastructure bill as Republicans, because Democrats are really tying this to the entitlement expansion. And we can't have any part in passing such a massive spending bill, this and that. But it doesn't make any sense when you break it down. That's just their BS marketing line, right? It's a BS marketing line, because if you really think about it, it makes no sense if they don't support, say right now. All the moderate Republicans in the House supported the hard infrastructure bill. Say they all supported the hard infrastructure bill. What would happen? Well, then the hard infrastructure bill would pass and progressives wouldn't have any leverage to force moderates into passing the expansion at all. If Republicans threw their hat in and passed the infrastructure, they would take the leverage away from the progressives, therefore decoupling the two bills. But because they're not voting for it, because they say the two bills are together, they're forcing the two bills to remain together. It's BS. They all believe that we need the infrastructure. Many of their jurisdictions, many of their districts need the infrastructure funding. They need the funding, but they're refusing to pass it, not because it's coupled. That's just BS. Not because they believe in it. They're doing it because they want Biden to take an L. They want him to lose so that they could have something to run on in next year's election, the midterm elections, and say the Democrats failed. They haven't delivered anything. Vote for me. And what are they going to do? Are they going to hammer out the same infrastructure bill that Biden already got through the Senate and actually invest in our hard infrastructure? Hell no, they're not. They're going to sit on their hands and dole out more tax cuts for the wealthy and for corporations that don't trickle down, that don't build infrastructure. They're full of it. And, you know, on the progressive side, you know, I call them out all day and I'll continue to call them out. They're forsaking hard infrastructure, which they know we desperately need just because they're not getting everything they want. And that's unacceptable. But I'll say this. 
at least they truly, truly believe in what they're doing. At least there's something behind it where they're willing to perhaps go down with the ship and sink something they know we need, which I'm not. I don't agree with them, but at least it's because they actually believe in the stuff they're pushing. Now, I don't necessarily agree with it right now, but they really do. They they believe in it. So I understand that the Republicans in the House, it's not like they're standing up for a belief. They're literally just doing this. They're literally just doing this just to get a win and a loss for Biden. That's terrible. It's a loss for the American people is what it is. It's a loss for every district in every state in this country that has an infrastructure project ready to go that is not going to get the funding if this thing fails. That's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. So we remain. it remains to be seen what happens. Now, exactly, CLR, they don't. Now, with regard to cinema, look, I agree with her. She doesn't want to spend too much money. She thinks it's way too much crammed in way too fast. I agree. We already have a massive debt. We have all these problems. We already just spent huge, massive amounts of money on two stimulus packages. Inflation is through the roof. And I know that's not the only reason inflation's high because Neil broke it down two weeks ago. But it's one of the reasons, most likely. We have a labor shortage. We have all these issues. And she's like, look, just pause it. Pass the the infrastructure bill. Let's not get hung up on something else that deserves a lot more debate and you might not have the votes for it. But the other one, the other character in this saga is Joe Manchin. And here's the thing with Joe Manchin. See, I respect Joe Manchin's centrism. I really do. And one thing I can't stand is the mislabeling of political opponents just for like a marketing ploy, right? I hate it. And so the the way that every time cinema or mansion disagree with massive spending, they're labeled as corporatists, you know, Republicans and Democrats clothing bought and paid for all this nonsense crap that I don't agree with labeling somebody simply because they may have a philosophical disagreement with how much money we should be spending on certain entitlement programs or on the welfare state. But when it comes to mansion, one thing that really really upsets me and clr just said it before i could say it's true mansion's not he says he's oh i'm just worried about the spending i'm just worried about the spending but in reality what he wants to gut a report came out earlier what he's interested in gutting the aspects of the bill that he wants to cut are the climate change clean energy funding and that's disingenuous isn't it it's disingenuous to say no i care about spending that's my thing but really you just want to cut down clean energy because you you have a close relationship with the coal lobby that is you know that is a problem wouldn't you say wouldn't you say that deserves some scrutiny that's why somebody like him, too, you got to, you know, if you're going to hold the Republicans to the fire, you're going to hold the progressives. Well, you got to look at him, too, because what's that about? That's not good for the people. That's not good for the climate. That's not good for the economy. That's not good for the future. That's just some self-serving stuff, if true, which based on all the reports, it seems to be. That's a real, real problem. So, you know, you got a lot of different people involved in this infrastructure versus I call it the Bernie bill fight. And there's a lot of people from all angles that really want to tank this. And I I think they need to vote on the infrastructure bill because it's already passed the Senate. There's enough votes of people who actually want it if they just step up and vote yes. And we have shovels ready to go. They need to pass the infrastructure bill. We can deal with the other thing later. And, you know, look, one of the things that I kind of find interesting with the whole second bill and with the the left, with the progressives in general, speaking of like this, this idea of say one thing, but what you're doing and the results of what you're doing are totally different. You know, when it comes to the progressives in their bill, let's let's think about it. Right. They have all kinds of stuff in there. There's so many things packed in there 
It's like a progressive wish list. And they have, they tried to put immigration in there. The parliamentarian said it can't go in there under reconciliation. But what, what is a financial thing that I don't know, you know, I don't think the parliamentarian has ruled out. And it wasn't even in discussion upon the initial Bernie structure of the bill, which was going to be six trillion is student loans, right? Now, look, you might say, you might think, oh, he's just saying student loans because he has student loans and that's all he cares about. He just wants something for him, Baba. No. I'm fine with paying my student loans. I have a plan to pay them. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing to pay them. And credit to Biden with the restructuring of the public loan forgiveness. I actually got an email today that some of my previous payments, which weren't going to count, might count now because of what he's done with the revamping of the system. But student loans aren't in it at all. And that that just, it's got to make you question, right? The progressive side of things, they have a lot of mantras, right? And they have a lot of talking points and they have a lot of slogans. And one of their slogans is, you know, working families this and working families that, and we care about working families this and that and working people this and working people why the working families party is such a thing it's all about working people working people when you look at it not every benefit they're looking to give is necessarily working people and they're not necessarily including working people in these programs all the time because i guess they consider people who work white collar jobs who make a little more money not working people i don't know i think it's just because of the way they want to market it (laughs) yeah it does it does it's a slogan But here's what's interesting. They keep claiming, no, we want to elevate working people. We want to bring working people into the middle class. We want to give everybody a middle class life. And I understand historically from a progressive standpoint, especially with regard to FDR, I understand why progressive ideology and progressive policy does contribute, especially when you're talking about labor unions, why it does contribute to a middle class lifestyle and bolstering the middle class. On the other hand, you got to be suspicious when the biggest bill that they have doesn't even touch student loans. Why do I say that? Why do I say it? Well, here's why, objectively why. When you had the first progressive wave, you had the GI Bill. You had a lot of corruption in that. You had a lot of redlining. You had a lot of racism, which caused a lot of problems. But when you had suburbanization, you incentivized roads, you incentivized the car companies, which then incentivized the hiring of automobile workers who were then unionized, who had living wages and middle management who had good wages and long term jobs. And you incentivized people to go to school. You backed their mortgages so they could buy a house. You were implementing programs that actually helped people come from the working class and elevate themselves to the middle class. And a lot of people in my generation were beneficiaries because our parents were born into the beneficiary system of parents who were benefactors of the highway system, the mortgage system, the GI Bill, all of those things. And that is largely what helped the second wave immigrant class of this country to move from the working class to the middle class, right? Jews, Hungarians, Italians, that whole group, the remaining Irish who were still in the cities, they were able to elevate up and out into the middle class with those programs. And those programs were discriminatory, right? We know they were discriminatory. They held back certain ethnic groups and certain racial groups and benefited others. But they did move a significant portion of people from the working to the middle class. Now, here's the interesting thing about student loans. The Brookings Institution, I was reading this week, the Brookings Institution had an article that stated that African-American millennials were far more likely to suffer under crushing student loan debt than their white counterparts. Now, we know that's not 100 percent applicable, right, because I'm a white person who didn't have the means to get college paid for. So I took out loans and I had to subsidize my education to pretty much pay for almost my whole education with loans. And so it's a huge payment every month that restricts my ability to be more of a consumer, restricts my ability to make more long term investments, restricts my ability to buy a home and all of those things restrict my ability to have a positive impact on the economy. Now, there are millions, millions of people like me 
But African-American people like me are at a far bigger disadvantage because far more of them have loans. And they, the article said, according to the Brookings Institution, they've just descended into the middle class and their standing in the middle class is fragile because student loans are such a crushing burden on them. And that goes for anybody, any color, any creed. If you came from the working class, that one of the biggest mechanisms in the late 20th century, early 21st century for working class people to rise to the middle class and to advance themselves was by achieving a an education from the university or even graduate school. That's one of the biggest ways that they were able to advance themselves forward. So if progressives are so in tuned and so about advancing the middle class, why would they not include student loan debt? If you took student loan debt away from people who have just elevated themselves and their families have helped to elevate them from that working cycle to the middle class, and if you remove the burden, just like the GI Bill or the mortgage back, remove burdens of buying homes, remove burdens of going to college, if you remove that burden, if you remove that burden, then you would have way more disposable income, a whole generation of people who could reinvest and invest and purchase, just like we had in the mid 20th century, which created this boom, which created this bolstered, robust middle class. They could do that, but they're not even looking at it. It's not even in the conversation. And you have to ask yourself why. If they're so about elevating people up, why wouldn't they want to elevate people up by way of one of the most obvious mechanisms available? So at the end of the day, I got to tell you, I feel like modern progressivism in a lot of ways They know they can equalize down, but it's much harder to facilitate up, right? They can equalize down. They can keep spending more money, taking it from people in higher social strata. I'm not saying the rich shouldn't pay their fair share. They should. And there's something to be said for Bernie's movement, for the progressive movement. We have a growing, growing inequality gap in this country economically. And it's it's part of the reason we have the problems we have. The rich are getting way too much of the money that's out there and everybody else is fighting for the scraps. That's got to be fixed. You got to put a bigger tax burden on the wealthy. You got to put a bigger tax burden on corporations. I'm not against forms of spending that do that. But one such form of spending, because when you get rid of student loans, you're acting like we're just going to get rid of student loans, just like wipe them off the books. No, somebody's got to pay for them. The government's going to pay them for you. Well, we can use the taxes from taxing the wealthy to pay for that. And that would be a real middle class benefit, especially for People just rising up to the middle class who have done well for themselves, who have decided to persevere despite not having the money, despite not having the means, despite maybe working side jobs, despite their parents being at work, despite them being home alone when they were kids because they didn't have a primary caregiver at home because both parents worked or only a single parent home. The parent worked like I came from. They elevated themselves. And instead of rewarding them or helping them or or solidifying them, they're saying, no, 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 we're going to you're going to miss the cutoff by the time you reach peak earning age and you have your kids because you've waited to have kids for so long because you're doing the responsible thing. When you have them and you reach peak earn, your peak earning is not going to qualify for the free child care. It's not going to qualify for the free college. It's not going to qualify for all that, but it's going to come out of your check, though. So are they really looking to elevate the working class up or are they looking to equalize us all down? Look at any communist country. Any communist country, the people are not living all. See, this is the other thing. People have an issue. Right? They think that if, oh, if you just print the money, give everybody a million dollars, they think that everybody's going to walk around living a millionaire lifestyle, right? That's the problem we have right now in society, right? Everybody has extra money, so there's no, not going to work. There's high demand. There's lack of labor. Because if you give everybody a million dollars, then a million dollars isn't worth anything anymore. So you're not going to live a millionaire lifestyle. And any communist or socialist country that you look at, they don't have everybody living 
a upper middle class lifestyle. They have everybody living a lower class lifestyle because the only way to make everybody equal is to equalize them all at a lower standard of living. There's not enough money to go around in just the way that economics works to equalize everybody at a higher middle class standard of living. You can only equalize everybody at a lower end standard of living. And so when people ask, what's my issue with the progressive thing or all these extra entitlements or et cetera, expanding the welfare state, these are just some of the general. And I know you can get into the nitty gritty and analyze point by point. And I'm happy to do that. I think we need to do some kind of human infrastructure. But I hesitate when they just say, no, no, we got to just spend a ton of money here. We just got to do it because I feel like sometimes they're a little bit idealistic. I think they're well intentioned. I think they truly believe they want to do the right thing. But I think they're a little bit misguided sometimes in what we want to be incentivizing, what type of behavior we want to be incentivizing, what type of uh, achievement we want to be awarding, what it's going to cost those who are trying to make the steady climb up, who have persevered and are the most hardworking, talented people trying to climb up, especially in traditionally discriminated against groups who have finally clawed their way to a certain level. We are kind of missing the ball on some of these debates with how we deal with that stuff. And it's just something to look at. It is. And speaking about this modern, you know, further left, this modern progressive wave that we are in the midst of right now. Speaking of that, does anybody seen the Chappelle special? Who's seen it? Who hasn't seen it? If you've seen it, throw a comment in there. Who's seen the Chappelle special? I was uh, with two buddies last week and we watched the Chappelle Chappelle special. Now, if you had actually watched the Chappelle special, you'd understand that everything's in context that he says, right? You don't have to agree with everything he says. He calls himself transphobic a bunch of times. But if you look at it, it's it's almost like a tongue in cheek in jest. Like, I guess since I hold this and this belief, you're going to label me that anyway. So I'm going to say it and smirk at you and then tell you that despite that label, here's what my experience has been with transgender people. And he goes through all this stuff. And let's be honest, at at one point, he flat out says, my my problem, my enemy is the white people. Now, I'm a white man watching this. Now, I could be enraged. I could be angry. And I know I'm not a traditionally oppressed group, so it's a little different for me. I acknowledge that. I understand that. But I could be, you know. But I'm like, all right, he's got an opinion he's going to say. I'm going to listen to his reasons and rationale, and I'm going to see, you know, I'm going to give him a chance. Seems like an intelligent guy. Seems like he's got a reason to be saying this. So let me listen. And if you watch the special, you'd see that, you know, he does this whole thing about um, this transgender friend of his that was another comic that he kind of mentored. And her name was Daphne. And her real name was Daphne Dorman, because if you look it up, Daphne Dorman is a real person. And everything he said in the stand-up is accurate about Daphne. Don't don't cut me in a snippet now and say, Crane is on the thing saying everything Chappelle said is accurate. He's again. No, everything he said about Daphne Dorman really happened. That's what I'm saying. And she did really take her own life. Now. She obviously had a lot going on, and Chappelle acknowledged that. He acknowledges, look, it's not because of this, but she probably had all kinds of issues. But at one point after his last special, when progressives, people on the left, came out trying to cancel Chappelle, Daphne came out in support of him, said, look, he's not punching down. You can't punch down if you see everybody as equals, and he does. That's all she said. She was actually a transgender person standing up for a person she knew personally and saying, look, don't judge him so quick because you don't know him. I know him and I'm one of the people that you're talking about. And she was dragged for that. And it's this weird Twitter verse that I can't stand anymore. And Chappelle said that, too. He's like, Twitter, because I don't care because it's not a a real place because it's not. I'm sick of news articles like uh, this Twitter is angry about this. Twitter is angry about this. There's a Twitter outrage. Twitter wants to cancel. Who cares what Twitter wants to do? It's its own insular community. It's not reflective. It's not a good 
statistical representation of the actual real world. So we got to stop quoting it and citing it all the time. It's a good mechanism to get quick news, a good mechanism to get yourself out there, but it's not something we should be quoting to, to make a judgment on public sentiment on every issue. But he said, look, they dragged her. She was, they went after her relentlessly because she dared say something true about her experience and defend me. And that's an outrage. And after a lot of other trouble, a lot of other things, if it has anything to do with that, who knows? She unfortunately, tragically took her own life. Chappelle started a fund for her daughter. He said he's going to give the daughter the money. Now, her family, Daphne's family right now, Daphne's family right now has come out and said he is an ally, as far as we know, to the LGBTQ community. That's what they said, and they actually have a trans person who's interacted with him. But yet other people want to cancel him because he dares have an opinion. Let me tell you something else. My good friend, Elliot Fant, who is a friend to the show, who, by the way, has an extraordinary like you want to see talent. You want to see poetic talent and a graphic book, you know, as far as illustrations that really conveys what this person is seeing and what he's communicating. The world as I see it, E-Y-E, as I see it by Elliot Fant. It's coming out soon. I'm going to have copies. So if you want them, you, you call me. I mean, brilliant mind. Brilliant mind. He said the other day, he said, look, I want to know what people's real opinion is. I want to know what people's real sentiment is. I don't want you to force them into the dark and back into the basements and back into the quiet whispers of their living rooms. I'd rather hear what they have to say so I can make the judgment myself to know where they stand. I want to know who my enemies are. I want to know where everybody stands. That doesn't mean you amplify hateful voices. That's not what I'm saying. You don't do that. But it also means you don't go on these tirades and rages every time somebody speaks at a university or puts out a special or something. If you don't want to listen, you don't have to. But you don't have to just automatically take away their platform and silence them just because you don't disagree with it. Let them say it in public and then publicly counteract them. President Obama said this at the Rutgers commencement ceremony when he gave his speech he said look invite them in and argue with them publicly clown them by beating them in an argument don't shut them down so they can't even speak that's what obama said and he was right so just recently there was another uh, a trans employee of of netflix who led a walkout she was suspended at first and then she was reinstated then netflix said we encourage dissent you are reinstated but Another individual who hasn't been identified because she doesn't want to deal with the social media mob, which let's face it, not only are there people trying to get rid of Chappelle, there's so many people that are rabidly in his corner because we're in such a crazy society where we got to fight online about every issue that this young woman doesn't want her identity to be known because she's afraid she'll get dragged on Twitter for being against Chappelle. And that's not acceptable either. But she happens to be African-American and she was fired and the reason was netflix said she leaked she leaked data to the press about metrics so the metrics that they had gathered about who watched the chappelle show etc well not the chappelle show but the chappelle's last special she leaked the metrics to the media and it, it wound up i think in a report by bloomberg news so she leaked data and you're not allowed to do that that's against the company policy now dissenting against something you don't agree with that's not against company policy so the other trans woman was reinstated but it's interesting because now she's saying well she's kind of taking a line from Chappelle, which i've seen a lot of other people take again this group versus group thing because we all have to be on a group these days politically and fight with another group we can't just be understand there's complexities in every group and there's biases with everybody and we have to work to get past them and we have to work to rectify them but they exist and they exist both ways all the time instead of acknowledging that she said well no it's because i'm a person of color and that trans other trans person who was reinstated is white that's why they fired her. but not acknowledging that she leaked the metrics that's the difference between her and the other employee not the color of their skin but we are in this endless loop especially on the left where look we can't even talk anymore 
We can't even have an objective conversation anymore. Because if somebody says something you don't want to hear or you don't like, well, you're just going to move to just have them shut down and canceled right away. And again, I'm suspicious of that. Like if the left is so about freedom of expression and free ideas and things of that nature, then why do they shut down everybody who doesn't agree with them? I'm suspicious of the current movement on the left for all the reasons I just stated. And it doesn't mean that I'm against the left. I'm a neutral. This is I'm just neutral on this podcast. I just tell you how I see it. You make your own determinations. But I'm just saying that it warrants some further investigation, a closer look, tighter scrutiny, more criticism. What's going on on the left? Because accepting everything they say as blind moral superiority and as blind you know, righteousness can be dangerous no matter what the issue is. If you scrutinize it and you look at the complexities and the nuances and you come to the objective realization that you agree with it or you think that is the way we should be going, then that's fine. Fight for it as hard as you want. But don't just blindly accept it and get bullied into regurgitating certain motifs and talking points from the left just because it's in vogue right now and just because you're fearful that you'll be canceled if you don't do that that's scary and that's a problem you can't fall victim to that no matter what side or what belief or what it is you can't so you got to question what's going on over there you just do now, when it comes to John Gruden, look, John Gruden got caught with his pants down. Let's be honest. John Gruden said a lot of race, racist thing. Well, you know, the race thing, too, with John Gruden. I mean, I don't know. In the context of the other things he said, I'm guessing it probably was racist. What he said about D. Maurice Smith. We didn't know at first. But it's what he says. So if look, if if Davis was going to fire him from the Raiders, that's Davis's business. It got out. Your boss doesn't like what you say. Well, And the other problem is Gruden's talking about what his job is, right? He's not just talking about Broadway plays, but he's a football coach. He's talking about football and football players. So, you know, there's going to be consequences for that. There's going to be consequences for that. So, you know, at the end of the day, I understand why there's consequences. It was his private correspondence, but he should have been smarter than that. You know, it is what it is. I'm not going to defend John Gruden. I do think it's interesting that we go so hard on private conversations and opinions, though. Like, not everybody's going to share your opinion on everything. So, the last thing I'll touch on with regard to the social issues is Columbus Day. Because Columbus Day just passed. And a lot of people don't know the origin of Columbus Day. They really don't. And it's become such a... Again, I think it's just kind of gotten swept up in this whole movement on the left. This whole cancel what you don't like. No dialogue necessary. We say it's morally superior. Therefore, it is whatever. It's become this war where, you know, you have to get rid of Columbus statues. You can't celebrate Columbus. If you support Columbus, you're supporting the genocide of the indigenous people in the Americas. And now we can't only just talk about what we're going to do with Columbus Day. We have to change Columbus Day right over to Indigenous Peoples Day. Now, look, I have no problem with Indigenous Peoples Day. It could be on Columbus Day if people want. They could celebrate how they'd like. They could celebrate that day as Indigenous Peoples Day. It's fine with me. We should celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. You know I'm an advocate and proponent of Juneteenth. You know all of that. But I find that there's you know a real disconnect between why the day is there and the guy who it's named there. Like Columbus was just revered in the United States for, quote, finding America, even though we know he didn't find America, even though later revelations revealed that he was a real scumbag of a person, real terrible person who advocated genocide and advocated slavery. He's not somebody we really should be celebrating. Let's be honest. He shouldn't. But the origin of the day was because he was so revered by Americans At a time when Italian-Americans were being discriminated against so often, so frequently, so noticeably, that their, the Italian-Americans' idea of how to, you know, be prideful in themselves and discuss, you know, kind of bring to the forefront Italian-American contributions to the country was to take somebody who was already an icon in American dialogue, in American society, And to 
say, look, he was Italian. So let's celebrate one of the most prominent Italians in American lore, if you will. And that's why we have the day. It's more of a celebration of Italian-American pride and Italian-American contribution to this country than some celebration of Columbus himself. And there's a disconnect with that. So people don't really understand that, hey, this is like an Italian holiday kind of thing. And they just think it's all about Columbus. And then they rightfully are like, well, screw Columbus. And it creates a problem, you know. I personally advocate, and every year I say the same thing on that day. I say happy Italian-American Heritage Day. Because that's what it is to me. It's Italian-American Heritage Day. And look, how do they not know? I honestly think that there are some documents and historians, too, that took a closer look. And we had a lot of a whole lot of, you know, mythology about all of our founding fathers and all of the people that came before throughout our entire history. And it was easier to sell that mythology, much easier to sell that mythology when you, you know, didn't have the internet like Rick said. You didn't have any of those things. So it was harder to, um, it was just much harder to to decipher those things. So whatever the case is, now we're at this place where it should be Italian-American Heritage Day, but people on the left just want to get rid of Columbus. They don't want to talk about the origins of the day or anything like that. And people on the other side, though, it's their fault too, right? Because you have all these Italian-American groups and all these people on the right who are just so annoyed so annoyed. No, lo- I mean, logic didn't get invented at the same time as the internet, but people were just weren't vastly educated. Like you weren't going to find an old document in Columbus's diary that some historian found, you know, readily available like you would on the internet today. They're not going to the library doing vast research on Columbus. They're just buying into the myth that Columbus discovered America because that's what they're told in schools. That's one of our grand myths, you know, just like Honest Abe never told a lie and George Washington was the best general in history. And, you know, people have myths that they go on, you know, and it is what it is. So, I mean, it's just something that happens now that they know now they're upset about it. It wasn't like they were protesting Columbus back then either. I mean, let's be honest. So, I mean, it goes both ways, Siren. So you're in the chat, you know, you're saying just so the people at home can hear later when you listen that, you know, they should have known there's no excuse not to know. Well, then why weren't people protesting it back then as bad as they are now? Because they didn't know either. Either side didn't know. That's why there was no issue until a few years ago when everybody knew. It wasn't like they just ignored it and everybody else was up in arms. That's not how it was. No one really knew. No one really embraced that idea. So anyway, now... They want to get rid of the statues. They want to do all that fine. But the other side is just as culpable in this, right? Because the other side doesn't want to compromise and say, okay, it should just be Italian-American Heritage Day. They don't want to say that. They want to, they're want they so mad at canceling, and they're so mad at cancel culture, and they're so mad at the left, and they're so mad at the statue thing. They're so wrapped up in it that they want to just, you know, Hunker down, dig their heels in about, you know, at the end of the day, it's Columbus Day. I don't care. It's Columbus Day. It's never going to change. Blah, blah, blah. When you do that, you again, just like I criticize people who won't compromise on infrastructure. When you do that, you ruin it for everybody. You ruin it for everybody when you do that. So they're not helping the situation. So, look, I'll tell you right now, no matter what I say, there probably will never be an Italian-American Heritage Day instead of Columbus Day. Not because the one side wants to just do away with it, but because the other side won't give up Columbus either. They won't give up Columbus. They won't acknowledge. They won't acknowledge the Columbus issue. They won't. And that's their fault. So it's just another, I think we're on this downward spiral in this country and in this society where we are just constantly fighting over everything and we're not allowing for any conversation any honest conversation at all about these issues we just want to go at each other's throats we want to dig our heels in and we don't want to get to the bottom of it we don't want to discuss it in an honest objective way we don't want to acknowledge the complexities of the nuance and we find ourselves where we find ourselves and it's it's a real it's a real problem It's a real problem. And I'm hoping that, you know, through conversations like this and on this podcast and et cetera, we could, you know, eventually we can circumvent that and get to a better place, a better dialogue. But it's it's extremely difficult because of where we find ourselves right now. 
It just is. And it's going to take time to get there. But these are the issues. I'm, I'm suspicious of certain movements in this in this country right now and in this society. And everybody should be. Nothing is without question, right? Nothing should be without scrutiny or analysis or conversation. Nothing. The Devils just won in overtime very quickly. Go Devils. Home opener they won. Got to be happy for them. Newark, New Jersey. Let's go. But anyway, look, I'm ready to wrap it up, guys. We had a great show. I think I touched on a lot of topics. Hope I touched everybody out there, you know, who was uh, who tuned in to listen. You had a, we had a good turnout tonight. I hope it stays this robust. I hope we keep the listeners on. I mean, you guys are my lifeblood, not only because you're listening to me, but because you go out and then you share some of these insights and, and these conversations out with everybody else. And then we start getting it going. You already know that. I see you all doing it all the time, but it's nice to have you guys all here live on a Friday night to just talk to you and just connect with you guys. It's, it's awesome. There's really nothing like it. There's nothing like it at all. There's nothing. Now I almost want to open the lines, but then I don't. Cause I, I, I know I see where Rick is right now and I see where Siren is and they're going to have their debate. I really don't want to get into it. And also I had a long week. I'm tired. I got to get up tomorrow. I don't want to edit in case anything is said. So I might just, you know, in a couple minutes, just wind it down and save the calls for next week when Marcellus comes on and see JR. Yeah, you do. I love that. Cause that's, that's important. It just it keeps us going like we we have good dialogue here. There's some good insights you might not get unless you tuned in. And then you're like, oh, shit, I never thought about it that way. And then you go out to somebody else. And then some things you guys tell me, I'm like, I never thought about it that way. And then I go out and tell people. So it's 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 dope, man. It's it's a good space. And I just I hope we have this. We continue to grow this thing and we continue to have people on every week because it's just it's great when we do it. And I love doing the show. I really do. I'm reinvigorated about the whole the whole thing. And it's it's nice to be able to go at both sides and have people who are sitting here being objective and hearing hearing me out on it. So next week, we're going to discuss current events and everything like we always do, just like this week. And we are going to have Marcel's counts on. You know, every time we have a guest on here, you guys see that they are very informed. They give us insights we hadn't thought about. And they're usually really enthusiastic about being on the show. I'm hyped for Marcellus because being an urban farmer involved in urban agriculture, seeing kind of how the structures in place work to help or hinder that new kind of movement, being a beekeeper, uh, especially in an urban area and, and having that expertise, which bees are obviously integral to our food supply chain and integral to our environment. And I don't know a ton about them, but he has great knowledge about them. So I'm looking forward to that. Anybody else has an idea about coming on or you want to talk about something on the show? You think you should be featured for some some work you're doing or some volunteer work you're doing or just an interest you have? Reach out to me and I'll put you on the show. I'm trying to get more people on the show as we go forward just to you know diversify our knowledge, learn from other people and keep expanding. Keep an eye out for Elliot's book. It's coming out soon. Uh, once that's out, I will distribute it. So just hit me up for that. And uh, Bobby Krills has a new video out, um, Emotionally Drained, which is a really, you know, it hits you in certain places and it's a good video. So go ahead and uh, research Bobby Krills, listen to that video, share this podcast with your friends. It'll be out tonight in recorded form. And remember, it's available on every medium, iTunes, Apple, uh, Amazon, iHeartRadio. We get downloads from all those places too, by the way. We get downloads on Stitcher. Uh, it's everywhere. So tell your friends. I hope everybody has a good Friday night. I hope you like the new time slot. I think it gives us a little time to still go chill after the show, but still have a nice Friday night just kicking it with me, talking about some you know knowledgeable topics. I love that you all join me. I really, really appreciate not only you guys joining me, but you guys talking in the chat and kind of going at each other in the chat it just adds to the environment too so it was a great night you got me hyped up can't wait to see you guys next week i'll leave the song on for another minute if you got to want to continue the argument in the chat and then i'll wind it down i'll talk to you all next week god bless you all and have a great week and a productive week good night